0: Welcome to Red Couch Manx, I'm Vivek Jacob, joined by Carl Mascarenus, and we are breaking down Manchester United's 1-0 loss to Arsenal, a 69th minute penalty from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, a pretty silly foul by Paul Pogba, which in some ways typified the performance. To me, that was extremely flat. Carl, I don't know what you thought, but just an extremely disappointing result after the
1: final win over Leipzig. Hey, Vivek. Yeah, I mean, that was just, that was horrible. That was completely unexpected. I thought, you know, after the way we played in Leipzig, uh, everybody would have a spring in their step. It was the exact opposite. It looked like for the first 45 minutes, United were sleeping, sleepwalking the whole way. Uh, Arsenal looked fantastic. Their press was right to the point. They were sharp. They were crisp. Anything but when it came to United, uh, their midfield, no passing, no tempo, no speed, and United, at the end of the day, thoroughly got what they deserved. A big, fat loss. Yeah,
0: I think when you look at the way United set out in this match, that w- that was what set the tone for this disappointment, in my opinion. When I saw the starting eleven announced, and I saw Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford, I was initially optimistic that the two of them were going to get to play up front together, And they'd be looking to press high and force some mistakes from Arsenal who like to play out of the back. That's what Arteta has been trying to bring to his version of Arsenal. And there was none of that. There was no pressing. You barely got to see Rashford and Greenwood up top together. I felt like one was constantly playing extremely deep, far too deep. The number of times Greenwood was near the halfway line. I thought that was extremely frustrating and again you look at the two in front of the back four with Scott and Fred you know what you're gonna get defensively and the way they're gonna protect Maguire and Lindelof but for Fred as good as he was against Leipzig his passing today I mean I thought it was ironic that Paul Scholes was the one uh, who was analyzing this match with Ian Wright because If his nickname is (laughs) Satnav, whatever the opposite of Satnav is, that's what Fred gets with with this performance, with this passing performance anyway.
1: I I have a little bit of a, a soft spot, and I'll tell you why. I think he's had such brilliant performances over the last few games where he's played basically every three days. It was bound to catch up with him at some point, and I think that point was today. I just didn't think he had enough in the tank. And also, if I'm being quite frank, I think that Ole got comprehensively out by Mikel Arteta. His tactics were spot on. He predicted the diamond was going to be in in play today. It was. Uh, United, for some reason, had no pressing game whatsoever. The fundamental difference between Leipzig game and the Arsenal game today was that United did not press into the Arsenal half. They waited for Arsenal to get into our half. Now, once Arsenal get into our half, they have an extra man in midfield because they're playing three at the back that countered against us. And for the most part, they were attacking down our right-hand side. But I just didn't think that we were pressing at all because usually Scott and Fred press in tandem. But because of the diamond, it was one or the other. And they were completely getting out thought with these small little triangles that Arsenal were playing. And quite honestly, they were running circles around us. I have no idea how that first half ended 0-0. To be honest, like Arsenal, if they were a more clinical team with a little bit more creativity, they could have opened us up. But we, I was thankful that we went in there 0-0. Uh, Vivek, I don't know, what did you think about the way United set up in the first place and uh, how they executed? I think
0: the point you make about Arteta completely outthinking Solskjaer is what stands out the most in this match. When you look at tactical adjustments... Even when I look at the 25th minute mark and, you know, just before that, Rashford had an amazing pass to Mason Greenwood, who shot it first time and forced to save out Eleno. Leno. But around the 25th mark, you saw Fred pick up a yellow, you saw Holding pick up a yellow, and you saw Gabriel pick up a yellow. As a manager, as the op- opposing manager, I'm looking at Holding and Gabriel saying, okay, both of them are on yellows. I need to be putting more pressure on them. So this gives me an opportunity to be more attack minded, at least going into the second half. When you see how much United were lacking energy in that first half, I thought for sure going into halftime, you're looking at those two on yellows and saying, okay, how do I really put them on the back foot and really put pressure on them?
1: It's an interesting point you make, Vivek, because Mikel Arteta in his press conference talked about this point. He actually identified. He's like, hey, you know what? I was a little worried when uh, Holding and Gabriel had yellow cards. I thought United would go after them, but I was very happy with the victory. So he he identified it. You clearly identified it. However, the person that mattered at halftime did not identify it, which was Ole.
0: As soon as it happened around the 25th minute mark, I was saying, okay, this is an opening that United can take advantage of. And at halftime, you know, we've debated before about, you know, our Ole's substitutions coming a bit too late? We got them spot on against Leipzig. But again, here, when you think about the changes, you had the 75th minute Van De Beek comes on for Bruno and you have Cavani coming on for Greenwood. Those are similar players. Now, obviously, you can debate the qualities of those players, but... if you're talking about being more attack-minded, obviously there was the earlier substitution as well where Matic came on for Fred. And if you're going to bring on Matic for Fred, saying that, okay, Fred is doing a job, but he's not making the passes once that job is done, then I can understand a Matic coming on. But as soon as you do that, I think it also means that Scott McTominay has to come off. Because... I don't think you. this is a game where you need those two defensive midfielders to open up those spaces in the Arsenal defense. That's where you have to bring on more creativity. And you should have given Van de Beek or Mata or any of those attack-minded players the opportunity to play more along those other guys as well. And I, I just didn't think Ole did a good enough job in reading the situation in this match.
1: I couldn't agree more. I'm really, you know, I was I was livid after the performance. I'm gonna go on a bit of a rant here, but what on God's green earth is Ole thinking? We're playing at Old Trafford. This isn't an away game. Like, why? Why is he setting up this way? He did this against Chelsea, and he's done it against Arsenal again. Like, we played like the away team. Paul Scholes said this, and and he was bang on. Like, I don't know how much longer this can keep going. He is. I think the only reason Ole is able to do this is because there's no fans. It's ironic because he keeps asking for fans to come back into the stadium. If fans were back in the stadium, he would be uh in all sorts of trouble right now because the the mentality of going into this game and the way we're set up, like we are at Old Trafford, we should be pinning the opposition back. Yes, that's what came at the at the beginning of the second half where we actually started pressing all the way up and we started to create some semblance of chances. Uh, we got more corner kicks. Harry Maguire had a nice header, but like, this is how we should be starting games. I, like, okay, I understand we we got absolutely massacred against Tottenham, losing six one, and that left a bit of uh, an imprint in terms of like being a little cautious and not wanting to lose a game or not not wanting to be that open. But man, you've gone completely the other side where you just are super cagey. Quite honestly, your philosophy of what you wanted to bring to United, which was get that attacking verve back into our game, you're completely compromising that right now. This isn't like the Arsenal of the old days. This is like a Arsenal side in transition. To pay them the amount of respect that he paid them in this game was just diabolical, in my opinion. Okay, that's, that's the end of my rant. I just needed to get that out there.
0: <laughs> it's all out now. You, yeah. you can get back to enjoying your weekend, I hope. I think when you make the point about playing like it's a home match, at this point you have to look at the home record and say what is going on? It's four matches now where United have one point to show for it in the Premier League. Obviously overall it's seven points from six matches, but one point from four at Old Trafford is unacceptable. Now like after just, this... just
1: to uh just sorry to cut you off there, but it's you touch upon another point that uh the reporter actually asked Ole in the press conference. He's like, hey, your home record isn't that great at the moment. What do you need to do to fix this? And Ole says, like, hey, you know what? With no fans in the stadium, there is no home and away anymore. It's just a a meaningless stat. Uh, And so it's just matches that are being played. There's no home and away. So I don't don't really put too much uh, stock into that. So that was his answer. (laughs) He has a
0: point to an extent because I think we've seen across sports that, the home advantage isn't there quite as much. Even you know, in the NBA playoffs, we saw that the stats for the home team completely shifted from what we're normally accustomed to seeing. So he has a point to an extent. But at the same time, Old Trafford's dimensions are created in a specific way. Manchester United, you're building a team to excel in those areas. And Ole should know that better than anyone <laughs> with the way the teams he used to play for have attacked. And so to me, that's a cheap excuse. And I'm not really taking it. I get that after the 6-1 defeat to Spurs, you needed to set that defensive mindset. You get the draw against Chelsea and you say, okay, we got a clean sheet. But even that match, there, there was a match to be won. It, it was there to be had and Ole didn't go for it. Again, here, it was a match, again, all due respect to Arsenal, they played really well. They They played really smartly. Arteta got the absolute most out of his players. I think the one thing that really impresses me about Arteta is the way he's gotten attacking players to commit defensively. Like the number of times I saw Oba back and really putting in a shift, that is the turnaround, right? And you can see that's something he's definitely learned from Guardiola because even you think about Kevin De Bruyne, before he was with Guardiola, everyone knew he's amazing on the ball. But him becoming one of the best midfielders in the world is because of the defensive work he's done. And I think that's one thing he's bringing to Arsenal where, you know, again, Partey stands out for the shift that he put in. but And El Nene as well was great. But I think they are really working as a unit. With United, I think to get those types of results at home, you need to see more commitment. Maybe you get more commitment when players are genuinely being put on the pitch to get positive results. If someone puts me out there saying, okay, Mm -hmm. we're just sort of going to play out the first 60 minutes and maybe try and nick it at the end, that changes your your mindset as a player as well. If you instead come in saying, hey, these first 20 minutes, there's a match to be won, I think you get a different response from your players. That is where the match was decided for me. As soon as I saw those first 15-20 minutes play out, I was like, this is going to be a very difficult game to win. There's no such thing as momentum uh, at Manchester United. There hasn't been any kind of momentum since Sir Alex Ferguson has left, right? You get a few wins there where you start thinking that things are about to turn around, and then you get a result like this that almost takes you back to square one. And it's like, okay, how do we build now?
1: Yeah, so there's there's a couple of things to touch upon here. Uh, So we might as well we'll go into it. So why don't we start off with the goal itself and how the penalty was was awarded. Uh, It was just a play down uh, our left-hand side, Arsenal's right. Um, And I think uh, this should be uh, a recipe that more teams should be using against us. Uh, We talked about this in uh, the last podcast and the podcast before about how we are vulnerable down the left-hand side. Uh, especially from a defensive standpoint, because Pogba is is not known to put in that shift. That's exactly what happened. He was behind the play and tried to make this the ridiculous challenge, uh, which he himself said was a stupid challenge, and awarded a you know blatant penalty kick. It might have been soft, but it was a penalty kick nonetheless. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that?
0: Beckham boot is my
1: first thought. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Pogba can take that award home tonight. I thought it was just a reckless mistake and you've just got to be smarter in those situations. But again, I am going to be critical of Olay because I think one of the big things I look at in sports in general is the margin for error. When I think about the way United came out in this match, if you are going to put all your eggs in sort of a defensive basket, then... You're going to allow Arsenal to create those chances, and you're basically just asking to be punished. And you think about all the chances that Arsenal had in this match. There was a huge clutch touch from Lindelof in the 37th minute that took a shot, a point blank shot away from Lacazette. That could have been a goal. Then right after that, like a minute later, Lindelof gives the ball away, and Willian uh, has a shot that grazes the crossbar. And then there there was a header for Saka. Uh, and so there were, there were chances after chances for Arsenal to score. When I think about United's chances to score, there was, again, that 21st-minute shot by Greenwood. There was that 55th-minute header by Maguire from Luke Shaw's free kick. That's literally all I can think of. Mm-hmm. And so to have the attacking talent you have at your disposal and you are just asking and inviting pressure You're not giving yourself the appropriate margin for error. You're just asking to be punished. And it was just a matter of
1: time, in my opinion. What I have noticed uh, from United is they do not know how to play against a team who plays three at the back. You look at Chelsea game, they couldn't break them down. Arsenal game, couldn't break them down, right? Where United is playing at home and so they're supposed to be the team with more possession. Who do they play against three at the back where they did break them down? That was PSG right and why was that PSG was playing at home and they were the one doing the attacking which meant and we all know this United is a very good counter attacking team right and so we can break down a three at the back when when the other team is attacking so as far as i'm concerned i don't think ole has figured out how to break down three at the back uh, and personally after watching the first 10 minutes i'm like you know what you got to play three at the back ole and just move an extra guy into midfield and that way you'll get a little bit more presence in midfield that's my personally what I think uh, needs to happen the next time we're playing against the team with three at the back I think Twanzebe needs to start uh once again I don't really rate Ian right as a uh, an analyst but he uh on the zone got it spot on with a lot of the things he said he said that right now Scott and Fred are playing because we need to uh to have a, a form of defense before Lindelof and Maguire because players when they're running at these guys cannot handle it and so we need somebody to back them up. Twanzebe doesn't need that help because he's got the speed and the power. After a performance like that, we've barely seen him play. Like uh, the one time he did come on, he played as a right back. So, I don't know, you tell me like is how does Twanzebe feel right now after a performance like that he doesn't get uh, any sort of game time?
0: Yeah, I'm shocked. I think when you looked at the run of fixtures, You thought that Ole was managing the lineups and managing all the fixtures together and having different players for different roles in different matches. But the Chelsea match and this match together to be as defensive-minded as he's been, you have to be confident in your philosophy. I think a learning point for Ole can honestly be Jurgen Klopp. And obviously Jurgen Klopp has more than set his philosophy at Liverpool. But you think about the fact that United lost 6-1 to Tottenham, and you look at the way they have played against Chelsea and Arsenal, and you look at Liverpool losing 7-2 to Aston Villa, losing Virgil van Dijk, and look at the way they play. They stay true to themselves. If you're Ole, if your philosophy can be shattered that quickly because of that result, that brings a serious question mark about your managing credentials because now you have to look at that
1: and say okay if he doesn't believe in himself then why should we do you think that because one thing i remember when when we were starting this podcast i told myself that i wouldn't do is just be a very reactionary analyst like all the ones on tv who have to say something to get some headlines Mm -hmm. do you think that we're being harsh on Ole because just previously they were talking about how ole was using his squad really well he's rotating it he just outthought some brilliant managers in the Champions League. Are we being harsh on him after this game?
0: I am being harsh on Ole specifically within the context of this match. For me, I'm nowhere near thinking Ole needs to be sacked or any of those types of things, right? I am very much in Ole needs to be in the role for the entire season and you evaluate him over the course of the season. And so... In terms of the bullet points that I am making for Ole to look back on when the season is done, this is a bullet point that I'm making. Obviously, as soon as you lost to Tottenham, the question was going to be, what is the response? And so bullet point number one came out against Chelsea, felt he needed to have that defensive mindset instilled once again, and so played the way he did. Was there a match to be won? Again, yes, there was. Are there things he could have still done to be more attack-minded? Yes, there was. But you can sort of understand why he did what he did. To do it again on the back of that Leipzig performance where all the players are buzzing after a 5-0 win, this, to me, is borderline inexplicable. And so that is something, for example, again, at the end of the season when I'm sitting with Ole, I'm saying, hey, how does this happen?
1: Yeah, no, I think, uh, honestly, I think that's a fantastic way of looking at it. The the whole, you know, looking at it from a bullet point standpoint, I think, I really hope that uh, Ed Woodward's listening to the way you just broke it down. Uh, <laughs> he, he could learn a thing or two from that. I I agree. I think another point that was made um, from Ian Wright, once again, was uh, you look at the two squads, the Arsenal squad and the United squad, the 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 type of midfielders that United has in their squad and compare that to Arsenal, let's be honest, we're like far ahead in terms of talent and creativity. Right. And so it's completely up to Ole to figure out how to, how to use those players to get the best out of them and to get us scoring goals again. Right. So uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Ole does in the next match in the league against Everton. Uh, we're playing at Everton this time against a, a, a very good Everton team who's much higher up in the table. Yeah, James Rodriguez hasn't been present for the last couple of games and they've taken a dip, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. Now, one other question while we're still talking about this game. Would, would you have done anything different with the way the substitutions were handled?
0: Absolutely. We, we, we talked about this before when the Fred substitution w- was made that to me was crying out for okay Fred's obviously not able to transition into a, attack the way we would like let's take him on bring an attack take him off bring in an attacking player on now if you're going to say we still need the job that Fred was doing and you bring on Matić I say okay then take off Scott you have to recognize that the way the match is going you don't you don't need two defensive midfielders and you need that attacking threat that added attacking threat so you had some flexibility as well in being able to say, okay, both Rashford and Greenwood are capable of playing wider. So why not bring on a Cavani just to join them as opposed to taking Greenwood off? And so I thought that was a big miss. Beyond that, you take off Bruno for Van de Beek. You know, th- th- that's another thing, right? Like it, it, even if it's not Cavani, you can take Fred off and you can bring on van der Beek, and you can just play that way.
1: Yeah, I, I was actually shocked because like it's not like Bruno played 90 minutes against uh, Leipzig in the Champions League. He was rested. He came on after about 60 minutes, right? So taking mm-hmm. Bruno off in this game was a little surprising, if I'm being honest. I was hoping to see van der Beek and Bruno play together. <laughs> Once again, we don't get to see that. One thing
0: I'm realizing I'm going to have to just adjust to mentally is because of the new rule now that, when you're substituted off, you can just go off at the nearest location. Initially, initially the first thought that came into my head was because before when players used to do this, it was almost out of frustration with the manager, right? It's like, they just don't want to see them or whatever. And they just go off. So as soon as Bruno comes off that way, I was like, wow, he's upset. And then obviously it clicked that, Oh, this is just the new rule. He's just getting off as quickly as possible. So that's one thing I'm going to have to adjust to now uh substitutions wise what do you think needed to change once the players w- were on were you were you happy with the way united's shape was once cavani and van de beek were on
1: no i didn't think we uh like i think united are still getting used to the way van de beek is playing He's he loves to get into those little uh, neat spots kind of like how mata does where hmm. there's barely any space so you got to find him as soon as he gets into the space. And I thought Luke Shaw was guilty of this. Scott was guilty of this. Like just holding onto the ball too long. And this is where I want you to trust your teammate. I will give you the ball and I trust you not to lose it. Because Donny has shown that he's in that space. He's already thinking two steps ahead. He knows who he's going to pass it to. Yep. And Cavani is smart enough to make those runs where he'll find him. Right? Yeah, okay, fine. It might not come off. But at least if you're going forward, that's what I was looking for. And I didn't see that. I didn't see that. I thought I thought Cavani gave the ball a couple of times very easily, but he also hasn't played since February, so I'm not going to put too much into that. Um I honestly m- whenever I w- watch Matic playing of late, I feel like he's in quicksand half the time. I, mm. I, I he's always a little late to the ball, like he, he, like he's on his heels. So personally and and this is one of uh, one of our friends from our our fantasy group, uh, I'll give him a shout out, Barath. He actually called for a lot more attacking-minded substitutions. We just did like-for-like substitutions, which was uh, symptomatic of our performance, which was tepid at best. So I think uh, I would have I would have honestly thrown the book at Arsenal and seen because like we've seen in the past that they crack when things like this happen, right? Yeah. Um, Leicester played a similar game and they came out with the victory because Jamie Vardy came on. They had a couple of attacking substitutes and it worked. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I was disappointed with that as well.
0: One quick thing I just want to add on the note you made about Van de Beek being on and players like Scott McTominay and Luke Shaw missing him for passes. Harry Maguire needs to bear some criticism here as well because there are times, again, where the opposition is playing deeper and almost encouraging Harry Maguire to come forward with the ball. And players like Van de Beek are moving around, finding space, and they're asking for the ball at their feet. And Maguire doesn't have the confidence to make that pass. And then it ends up being another lateral pass. If you're going to be that center back who's bringing the ball forward, you have to be able to make those passes. At 75 million, you have to be able to make those passes. And I think there's far too often, there's even times where you can see that a midfielder, even when Harry Maguire is deep, in, in his own half and a midfielder makes a move into space he's in space literally all it takes is a chip if, if he plays it along the ground it, it's going to get intercepted but if he plays a smart enough chip it's going to be perfectly fine but he doesn't even have the confidence to do that and so that's an area of mcguire's game that is sorely lacking that needs to improve i think we've made a lot of criticisms of united today but i think we can move on to a bright spot and look for the Cantona caller. If there was one player that stood out to you for their performance today, who would it be?
1: Mikel Arteta.
0: (laughs) Wow. Arsenal fans will love that. He was great. He was great. Again, yeah, you, I got you got a right. point about anticipating the diamond formation. You know, well, when I think back to United's match against Leipzig, I don't think Nagelsmann made the right proactive move in terms of his formation and setting up for United. This was the difference. With Arteta being ready for that diamond. And again, big shout out to the way Partey played and uh, El Nene. Again, you know, I go back to the Leicester match where... He, he's he been able to make players understand that everything he's doing is in the best interest of the team, right? And think about Aubameyang primarily playing on the left wing now and Lacazette being the striker up top. You think about all the goals that Oba has scored. You, you would think he has every right to say, hey, what are you doing this for? And then even against Leicester, Arteta all of a sudden says, okay, I need you to play on the right wing in this match. And he says, okay, I'll go play on the right wing. And everyone seems to be doing everything for the team. That, that, that was the biggest credit that I think I can give to Arteta in this match.
1: Yeah, the players have completely bought in. I, I heard Aubameyang's post-match press conference. And he just said, he's like, you know what, since Mikhail has come here, we believe in what he's doing. And so we're listening to whatever he's saying. Uh, that I, I cannot like emphasize how much that makes a difference. When your players buy into your philosophy... Mm-hmm. And to your point, you know what? If you break your philosophy, that's when players start to doubt. right? Yeah. So it's very important that Ole does not break his philosophy. Mm-hmm. I heard something with Pogba talking about the details and talking about how we need to attack more and create more chances. Personally, I think that was a subtle hint that we are united and we need to attack enough of this defensive nonsense. Did you have anybody else in mind for the Cantona caller? From a United standpoint, I think, again... Quietly, we can criticize
0: the fact that he's really lost his crossing touch. Whatever positive he showed after the lockdown last season, Aaron Wan-Bissaka offensively is just not really showing anything on that side of the ball this season. But defensively, I feel like his confidence is just through the roof right now. No one can get by him. Literally, no one can get by him. I think if there was anyone I would give it to, it's probably him. Anytime someone is looking Mm -hmm. to attack United... Uh, from their left side, United's right side, I feel I feel very confident.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think nobody stands a chance at the moment. Uh, quickly on, on who you think the long stuff, long shot is?
0: I'll probably give it to El Nene. I think Partey, you look at uh, the expectations of him coming to the club, I don't think we can put him in that long shot category. But uh, El Nene, since he's come to the club, he's been, I would say, middling results at best. Uh, and so to give in the performance that he had in this match and control the midfield the way he and Partey did,
1: yeah, no, no, uh, I'm not gonna uh, go against anything you said there. I mean, Thomas Partey is a oh, player man. and a half, but like you said, that's expected of him. But my oh man, like I was, I was so impressed because not only did he intercept, but the way he brought the ball up and then found players afterwards, I was just like. I was in awe of that and you know what before he came in people were making some Patrick Vieira comparisons I, I can see it now I mean it's it's early days so I don't want to get ahead of ourselves but uh, but I agree El Nene I mean like I thought he was on his way out of the club to be honest he's been on Lone a couple of times and so for him to come back into the squad the way he has and to perform like how he did today yeah long stuff long shot all day
0: I think we can now look ahead to the next match coming up and that's on november the 4th against istanbul basak seher i think that's the best attempt i can make at the name i'll probably stick to istanbul going forward but for me when i look at managing fixtures and managing the squad and the rotation down the line this is an important three points to get at bare minimum you got to come away with a point a way to Istanbul just continue to solidify and cement your Champions League place the sooner you do that the sooner uh you get flexibility in managing the squad further down the line
1: Yeah no doubt you got to you got to make sure the minimum you get is one point I would be looking for 3 but United does not have a good record playing in in Turkey in general and Istanbul for sure so uh let's see what happens there are no fans so Hopefully, uh, the cauldron atmosphere that we're used to in Turkey isn't going to be there, and that helps the players. I uh, mean, to, I, to I, I know point, for sure if if he's going to stick by his words, yeah. it's, it's a, there is no home and away. Yeah, so it better not make <laughs> a difference, right? <laughs> uh, but I mean, now clearly, Anthony Martial is going to be back in the uh, in mm-hmm. the team for this game um, since he doesn't have a ban. Uh, honestly, I would love to see him get sixty minutes see how he looks, and then obviously get him back into the team for the Everton game as well. Uh, I would love to see Twanzebe play. I don't think he will play because, like you said, if we get the three points in this Istanbul game, then you can experiment the rest of the games in the Champions League, right? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I think the next two fixtures in the Champions League are both against Istanbul. So if you can wrap up three points both against them away and then at home on the 24th, then you're at 12. And then for sure, those next two fixtures don't mean as much. Honestly, competition, no competition, uh, experimenting, no experimenting. That performance that Twanzebe put in against PSG, he has got to be a consistent part of the rotation unless he gets hurt. You look at this Arsenal game. Anytime I see an athletic team coming up for United, a team with pace, I want to see Twanzebe in the lineup. I think as long as he's fit, he should be the first choice in defense. I think he allows United to have more flexibility with who they select in their midfielders. You look at how much confidence you have in Iron Juan Bissaka. If you now have both Twanzebe and Juan Bissaka together on that right side, it shores things up that much more Harry Maguire looks like he's rounding into form and I think another thing that Solskjaer needs to realize quickly with his defense I personally believe David De Gea is back to his best you are you are not having to defend for the David De Gea of last season I think David De Gea is already back to his best and so there are certain chances that a lot of goalkeepers would allow that I'm back to expecting David De Gea to save and so I don't think you need to be as circumspect as Solskjaer has been in the Chelsea and the Arsenal fixture with his defense.
1: I wouldn't I wouldn't completely agree with you on the David de Gea statement. I still think I think he's he's rounding into form like you you mentioned with Harry Maguire. I'm not sure I would I would give him the David de Gea of the past just yet. I would just like to see him in a couple of spots where he's put under pressure and to see what he does. From there. I think then I will be on board with you.
0: Okay. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. I think that's perfectly fair. Before we go, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Oh, you know what? One, one thing that is important uh, to mention uh, some sad news. Sir Bobby Charlton being diagnosed with dementia. You, you had mentioned uh, the death of Nobby styles and uh, his older brother, Jack passed away in July. So this is sad news uh, with the diagnosis and hope for the best going forward for the Magic United Legends. Yeah,
1: I mean, it, it definitely brings up the topic, right, of um, heading in football and what kind of causes that can uh, or what that relates to in terms of dementia and things like that. Uh, I, I was reading something about how, you know, North American sports is a little ahead when it comes to uh, looking at the, the brain and concussions and what kind of impact headers can have. Um, and so hopefully it, it moves the needle forward. Uh, I have seen, I think Bournemouth is the only team that has, uh, taken a stance on this where they've actually banned headers, uh, in, in their younger teams. So I, I can't remember what, if it's under 13, under 12 or whatever it is, but Bournemouth's the only team that has actually, you know, uh, tried to move the needle in this respect.
0: Yeah. In that story where I read the update about Sir Bobby Charlton, I also read that There was a study by Glasgow University in 2019 that found former professional footballers are three and a half more times more likely to die of dementia than people of the same age range in the general population. So that's obviously something that should be taken more seriously. For the most part, in English football, I feel like money talks above everything. We've seen that play out, in my opinion, with the congested holiday season fixtures and the fact that you play all those matches at that time and you see year after year so many injuries happen in that time period which can completely derail a team season and still nothing has really been done about it and so uh, things like that I feel like will be very slow to progress on that front
1: yeah no uh, well said Vivek Uh, I think hopefully we can make some strides when it comes to that aspect of the game.
0: A reminder, we are on Twitter at Red Couch Manx. If you enjoy the show, we encourage you to subscribe and join us after every match and let your friends who might be interested know about it too. Reviews and ratings are greatly appreciated. On behalf of Carl and myself, thank you for listening to Red Couch Manx.